Open your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. This is the second in our series of messages in our journey through Paul's epistle to the church in Philippi. Philippians chapter 1, we'll read beginning with verse 3 in a moment. The message is entitled, Joyful, Joyful. That's exactly what Barry and Royda were singing about this morning. Not only do they have gorgeous voices, but I want you to hear this song. It is awesome. I'm looking this morning at people that I love. Some are more lovable than others. That's true of me. I know some of you are there saying, Pastor, you're so lovable. <laughs> and some of you are saying, no, I don't think so. <laughs> and that's okay. Many of you have a, a joyful attitude and countenance and spirit. And I've learned and am continuing to learn so very much from so many of you. I've seen many of you when you were really hurting. And yet, there's still something absolutely remarkable about your faith and your strength and your courage and, and the joy that you show even in the midst of great trial. And that's what Paul is talking about in the text that I want to read. So if you'll stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, we're going to look at verses 3 to 8. And the text says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. The word joy or a form of the word joy appears 16 times in the four chapters of the book of Philippians. And remember from our beginning last week that Paul is in prison as he writes these words to the brothers and sisters in Philippi. That makes the text even more amazing than it might otherwise have been to our hearts. The only time I've ever been in jail or prison was as a visitor and as a witness. I've always had this in the back of my mind, this horror, this fear that I would break the law and end up in, in jail and only by the grace of God, I suppose, has that not happened. But it's a horrifying thought. And and should I, like Paul, end up in prison for the gospel of Christ, would I 
be able to pin or even think words like these that we read in the epistle to the church in Philippi. I want us to notice five things about the text. I want us first of all to notice joyful thanksgiving. Look at verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. For what was Paul thankful? It's not what, but who or for whom was Paul thankful? He was thankful for God's people, the believers, the church in Philippi. And and he had years of memories in his heart and in his mind as he reflected upon the believers in Philippi. Cyprian, who was later made a saint by the church, Saint Cyprian, wrote to his friend Donatus in the third century, and I want to share with you what he wrote. This seems a cheerful world, Donatus, when I view it from this fair garden under the shadow of these vines, where apparently he was at the moment. But if I climbed some great mountain and looked out over the wide lands, you know very well what I would see. Thieves on the high road, pirates on the seas, in the amphitheaters, men murdered to please the applauding crowds. Under all roofs, misery and selfishness. It really is a bad world, Donatus, an incredibly bad world. Yet, in the midst of it, I found a quiet and holy people. They have discovered a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of this sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. These people, Donatus, are the Christians, and I am one of them. We think about the joyful expression of Paul as he remembers the brothers and sisters in the church in Philippi. And we are reminded that we are sinners saved by grace. Some that you and I know, they didn't come today, but some that you and I know are downright ornery. And either oblivious to it or proud of it, neither of which are fathomable to us. Some are always negative. Some are hard to like, much less love. And what may be true of our context was certainly true in Paul's context. Yet Paul expresses thankfulness for the people thankfulness for the brothers and sisters of the church in Philippi. And notice that in verse 4, he says, all of you, not some of you, but all of you. According to Paul, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Remember Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Sometimes we read those verses in Philippians and we say, yeah, I've got two out of those six. No, you have all of them. 
All of those gifts of the Spirit are given to us by the Spirit. All of that fruit of the Spirit is given to us by the Spirit. And we simply need to express that or to let it out. And so Paul expresses his joy at every remembrance of the church in Philippi. Joy is not dependent on circumstances. We've lived long enough where we should know that. We know that scripturally. We're we're not laughing fools. I I, I like the ad that I've seen a couple of times on television. Uh, I think it may be an insurance company. And they talk about uh, people laughing when, like the woman who sits in gum. And she gets up and the gum is on her bottom. And and she's happy about it. and, And the person who opens a, a, a soda pop and it explodes in their face and they and they laugh about it. I think I love the guy because I can see myself doing this, except the laughing part. Uh, the guy who walks into a glass door and bounces back and laughs and thinks it's funny. And, and then the one I love, because if you've ever flown a few times, this has probably happened, the kid in back of you who kicks your seat over and over and over again and the guy in the seat's laughing. At, we're not laughing fools. That's not what... Paul is talking about, but he's talking about a joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. And like peace, it transcends all understanding. And in verse 3, joy produces gratitude and the joy comes from the thoughts of people who share a commitment to Jesus, even though they are far away. You remember why Paul wrote? Remember he received a monetary gift while he's in prison, a monetary gift from the church in Philippi, delivered by Epaphroditus. Paul pins this letter, gives it to Epaphroditus to take back to the church in Philippi. And it is a word of gratitude and thanksgiving. And every time I think of you, there's joy in my heart. If if you lack joyful thanksgiving for God's people, I, I just want to make a humble suggestion that the problem isn't with God's people, it's with you. And, and the text makes that clear. For, for me, what I love about First Baptist Belton are not our buildings. I mean, I'm grateful. Oh, I'm so grateful for the physical plant that... Folks have given sacrificially to to build. I'm very thankful for that. I'm very thankful for our programs and ministries and missions and things that we do here and around the world. I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful for that. But what I'm really thankful for when I think of First Baptist Belton is people. It's people. It's you. I am grateful and I cherish every remembrance of you. The the second thing that I want us to notice in the text is joyful prayer. Now look look at verse 4. Joyful prayer. Paul says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Joyful prayer. Because of his joy, Paul prays with joy for his fellow believers in Philippi. Measure your prayer time. 
which I have to do frequently. And if you find that the measurement reveals that 90% of your prayer is self-focused, self-focused, then take stock of that and begin to pray more for others than for yourself. Refocus, refocus your prayer life. And that has happened to me more times than I'm embarrassed to admit. I'll get through praying in the morning, and and there are times when I've reflected upon what I've just said to God, and I thought, man, alive, that was almost all about me. And so I know when that happens that there needs to be for me a refocus, and maybe that I'm the only person in this room for whom that ever happens, but I suspect not. So refocus. You know, it may seem trite, but it's really not. You remember that little acrostic that people started talking about maybe 20, 30 years ago? Joy, Jesus first, others second, yourself third. That's really not trite. That's really true. Jesus first, exalting him, others second, the needs of others, and yourself third. I find that the more I pray for others instead of myself, the more joyful God seems to make me. In spite of chains, deprivation, loneliness, and exhaustion, Paul prayed with joy. It's remarkable. Now, remember this. Believer, believing friend, God has taken care of our number one problem, and that is our sin through the death and resurrection of Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1, which just happens to be my favorite verse, so I try to work it in whenever I can. It fits. Because of that, because of my number one need, your number one need, having been met in Jesus, you and I can pray joyfully. The third thing that I want us to notice in this rather remarkable text is joyful partnership. Look at verse 5. Joyful partnership. He said at the end of verse 4, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The word partnership in the Greek is koinonia, a word that we usually or often translate fellowship, partnership or fellowship. And the partnership, the the fellowship that he's talking about here is not a coffee-centered fellowship or a hamburger-centered fellowship, although there's certainly nothing wrong with us sharing coffee together, and there's certainly nothing wrong with us having a hamburger together. But we understand that what holds us together is the gospel. We are a gospel-centered fellowship, a gospel-centered partnership. We are on a team We are on a team with a gospel-centered commonality. We are a partnership of fishers of men and fishers of women. And the gospel holds us together. It is certainly not the color of our skin that holds us 
together. It is not our economic status that holds us together. It is not our educational attainments that hold us together. It is not age brackets that hold us together. It is not political philosophy that holds us together. Because all of those things are all over the map. What holds us together is a gospel-centeredness. A partnership. That explains the commonality you are able to feel when you go on a mission trip somewhere in another place or somewhere in these United States. And immediately when you encounter God's people, you sense a partnership, a fellowship, a a commonality with your brothers and sisters in Christ, whether it is Moldova or Haiti or India or East Asia or Panama or Taiwan or wherever else it is that we are going to go this year. Languages may be different. Customs may be different. And we may not look like the people with whom we are sharing and ministering, but there is a gospel-centeredness that holds us together that we can sense and feel the moment that we meet a brother or sister in Christ, wherever that may be. So Paul is expressing gratitude for a joyful partnership, which then leads to number four. Paul talks about a joyful confidence. Look at verse six. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's a great verse. I know some of you likely have memorized it. And when we think about that verse, we are usually thinking individually. We're thinking about ourselves or another individual Christ follower. And that is certainly fine. That's absolutely okay. But remember the text and the context. And the context is the church. So Paul is saying to the church in Philippi, God started something in you and he's going to finish it. God has begun a great work and he will see it through all the way to the end. Paul believed Jesus would carry out his purposes for the church, the believers in Philippi. And what God begins, God finishes. And Paul's heart was filled with anticipation. And so is mine. For this church. Salvation is God's work from start to finish. He calls through the Holy Spirit. He continues to keep us. He fills us and he uses us and he will complete the work all the way until all of us together see Jesus face to face. I don't know what all that will be, but I am Excited about what God is doing and what God is going to do. I have confidence in God. God has kept me in his grip. I have no confidence in Andy. None. I have no confidence in Andy's goodness in his character, in his pastoral title, in his Baptist heritage, or his abilities, or even his perseverance. But I am totally confident in God. Absolutely and completely. That leads us to the fifth thing. There's a joyful affection. Notice verse 7 and 8. 
again. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to understand, those are heartfelt words. Those are heartfelt words on the part of the Apostle Paul. This is not a fleeting emotion that he has about the church in Philippi. This is real and it is deep. In fact, the word affection literally can be translated intestines or internal organs or in earthy terms, we might say down in our gut. Paul is expressing what is way deep down inside. I have an affection for you, church, in Philippi. Now, understand, we're just beginning Philippians, but this letter, from beginning to ending, totally, totally obliterates and destroys the notion of those who say, just Jesus and me. Or it's just me and the man upstairs. I hate hearing that. Or the one who says, I don't need anybody. I don't need the church. Jesus understands me. Just me and Jesus. Where did that come from? It did not come from the scripture. And Philippians just obliterates that idea. Some are quick to point out flaws and criticize the church. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says such people have a wish dream, a wish dream of what the church should be, and it never quite lives up to their self-focused, self-centered expectations. I have a joyful affection for people who are like me, sinners saved by grace. That's us. That's, that's who we are. I've been with lots of people in over 40 years of ministry in the last stages of their lives. No one has ever, no one has ever said to me, bring me my diploma. No one has ever said to me, bring me my portfolio. No one has ever said to me, bring me my athletic trophies. But many have said, I'm so glad that you came. I long to see my family and my fellow believers before I go. And there is an expression of joyful affection. So I want to give you the takeaway for this morning. Last week, the takeaway was a list. Today, the takeaway is not a list. It's just this. 
no matter how doctrinally sound we think we are, if we are without love, we are a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 13.1. Without love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, the church, the body of Christ, no matter how involved we are, we are nothing. And so I close with a story to, I hope will delight you and help you to think about our partnership. During the summer of 1904, an unlikely partnership was formed at the World's Fair in St. Louis. The summer was very hot and people were searching around the fair for something to cool them off. A vendor named Arnold had just what they were looking for, ice cream. People lined up for what seemed like miles to get some of his cool and satisfying ice cream, but there was one problem. Arnold was not prepared for the demand, and he ran out of paper bowls. Next to Arnold's ice cream booth was a man named Ernest, a pastry chef who was making a Persian wafer Dessert. Ernest also had a problem. His pastries were not selling. He noticed the problem that Arnold was having and took some of his warm pastry and rolled it into the shape of a cone. He then went over and showed Arnold how the cone could hold a scoop of ice cream. And on that hot day during the World's Fair in St. Louis, the wafer ice cream cone was born because a partnership was formed. How important are partnerships in life? How important are partnerships to you? How important are partnerships to God? Well, let me answer that question before we pray. I thank my God. Every time I remember you, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you who share in God's grace with me, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for the partnership that we have in this room brothers and sisters in Christ with one another who may not have much else in common except that we belong to you. We are bound together by the gospel. We have a gospel-centered partnership, and for that we are grateful. Father, even as we in our hearts are grateful for the brothers and sisters around us this morning. We desire very much for the partnership to grow. 
We want someone else today to come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. So in the quietness of this moment, I pray that you will do what only you can do, and that is through your Spirit to draw someone to yourself. And we pray believing in Jesus' name. Amen. God speaks to your heart as we stand and sing to give your life to Christ. Come and place your hand in mine. There will be a member of our staff here to pray with you. You come as we stand and sing.